the war in space. That's where we're heading to. Uh-huh. China's on the moon. Japan, I think UAE landed on Mars. No, no, no. At Purple Noodle Marketing, we can find the perfect plan for you. Want to grow? Call us today at 612-208-2812 to speak to our cannabis growth specialist. This is episode 59. Hey, this is Alvin again. How was your dinner? Good. I'm sure your stomach is nice and full. So today we have a perfect aperitif pairing for your mind. We think you'll find it to be delish. Lay back, relax, and let your mind and soul savor the next 17 minutes. And now your hosts and our friends, and A. UAE has their Hope Orbiter in orbit around Mars. India? I can't remember if they landed a probe or if they just have an orbiter now. I don't know where Russia's standing with all this. I'm sure they're heavy at it. No one's even talking about Japan. Japan landed on a nearby asteroid, mined a little piece of it, and brought that back. All of them are in the game. I'm wondering what's going to happen when we get in space and all of a sudden another war breaks out on planet Earth. We've had wars on Earth during the time the ISS has been up, where we've had Russians, Americans, a variety of other national citizens on board the ISS. So what happened there? U.S. and Russia didn't nuke each other or have open fighting during that time period. There was a Cold War, and then they're kind of like, hey, let's be friends here. We're in space. Let's not play those games on there. We're all astronauts together. Russia was fighting over Afghanistan. We were definitely not on the same side when it came to Afghanistan or the Ukraine. With Afghanistan, we completely play games. In their face, we're like, oh, it's horrible what's going on with you guys. But good luck in trying to fight those, you know, religious guys. And then behind their backs, we were giving the Mujahideen stinger missiles. That was still part of the Cold War. As far as the Ukraine goes, we should have put troops on the ground. We owed it to Ukraine to stand up to them. That's why they gave up their nuclear arsenal to the U.S., because we promised that we would protect them. So we actually failed to meet a promise made by the Bush administration. My point is that there hasn't been a real war. In the past, when there was wars between major countries, there was fighting over the colonies. And I suspect that that's what's going to happen when we go to space. First of all, you've got to figure out how to, you know, actually have a weapon that you can engage in space. Potentially, you could just talk about firing, like, inch-sized pieces of shrapnel from used-up satellites at whoever your target is. I think lasers work in space. I don't know if they do. Lasers work in space as far as I know. It's light. We're working on laser technology right now. It's getting pretty advanced. The Navy's using it a lot. But it doesn't, like, blow things up. It just puts a, like, big beam on it, and it knocks out control systems and that kind of stuff. We're going to have colonies on Mars. We're going to have colonies on the moon. I think those colonies will will come under attack. I think the bases will be overrun. I think that we're going to proliferate war on Earth into space. That's my biggest concern. I don't see anything in our past that would indicate that we're not going to do that if a major war gets out. Not a Cold War. Cold War, I think that will be cool in space. Like Musk and these guys, everyone going to space on their own is kind of like this anarchic system where we're going there as individuals conquering for our nation or for profit. And I just don't see anything good coming out of that. 
I think we're just dragging the struggles of this earth into space. Okay. The question is, what happens with companies like Musk? When Musk has a colony on Mars, the U.S. should be responsible for protecting them, even though Musk has a pretty good relationship with China. In that sense, civilians working together might actually be able to end some of these struggles. Maybe Musk would be the voice of reason on Mars. Have you been paying any attention to all of these UFO sightings recently, which have been going on forever? But why all of a sudden, after Space Force, did they all of a sudden start to acknowledge it, in your opinion? Don't know. I have no idea. Did you notice that, though? I noticed that a bunch of stuff from 2007, 2012, 2014, somebody in the Congress demanded that the Pentagon produce a report. So the Pentagon produced, I don't know, what was it, a two-page, six-page report that basically said, yeah, there's some stuff. We don't know what it is. We can't explain it with anything, but it's not necessarily alien technology, period. Done. Is that what the report said? I didn't realize that. No, it didn't say those exact words. There's all kinds of stuff that we don't know what it is, and it doesn't mean it was made by an alien. Who really knows the whole story? We have video that was leaked of them following an unidentified object that was underwater, maybe. And it allegedly said the Navy guys put in their coordinates where they were going, and things showed up there before them, like hinting like, hey, we knew where you were going to go. For all we know, this is an experiment being done by the Navy and that we're just getting little bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Or by a foreign power like China. Well, if China was doing operations off the coast of California, I think that would be a bigger problem. I mean, if China's actually spying on U.S. soil and doing operations in U.S. waters. I didn't say anything like that. And also, I don't know how far off the coast the ships were, so they could have been in international waters. But I don't think the U.S. patrols international waters. They're not patrolling. They were doing maneuvers. I think you're required to do naval operations within your waters. I don't know. This is the problem that we're getting into with China. China's going into Taiwan's waters and doing maneuvers. That's illegal. China's starting to go into the waters of the Philippines and starting to do maneuvers. That's illegal. So, yeah, you, you, you got to stay within your territorial waters and do military operations. Okay. I think it could be our forces, but I think it's just justification to arm space, to have a force to fight against this new alien technology, which is all of a sudden coming out. Before you mentioned the troll, if Trump had seen this, Seen what? Seen these reports that there are being real aliens out there. You don't think Trump would have brought that to the attention of the American people? I think that he most assuredly saw some kind of reports and didn't bring it to the attention of the American people. I found Michael Malice's definition of a troll. At its best, trolling turns a target into an unwitting and unwilling performer for the sake of a broader audience. And that's why Malice has such an appreciation for Trump as a troll. And it's also why I do, because Trump had that amazing capacity to just push the buttons until whoever he was targeting, whether it was Elizabeth Warren or Hillary Clinton or whoever, right? They did indeed become these unwitting and unwilling performers just by responding to him. And that's why I do think that Trump was quite an extraordinary troll. I mean, that, that's your opinion. I don't agree with it. That ability to, to make your opponent finally come out and step up and try to say something and then to just have it fall so flat. I don't see him as this clever troll. 
I see him as a spoiled, rich elitist who used money and power to bully others to gain more. He learned early in life, I can bully people, and he got away with it. Yeah. And if Michael Malice wants to fanboy, which he 100% fanboys over Trump, he did it on Joe Rogan, he did it on The Rubin Report and a bunch of other shows, let him. I try to tell you he's on the right. You try to deny it, but he is. He's on the right. His whole book, The Right Wing, is not an outsider's perspective. It's an insider's perspective. From my limited exposure to the kinds of things that he does, says, and writes, has no love for any kind of government, has no love for any political party, is more on the side of let's burn it all down, and is definitely an anarchist. And he self-identifies as an anarchist without uh, without, what does he say? Without adverbs, adjectives, something? Without adjectives. Unless you have had a conversation with him, unless you have read all of his books and have listened to most of his podcasts and have listened to the full two or three hour conversations that he's had on other people's podcasts, I don't think there's a lot of room to start accusing a person that you know very little about and that you're by in no means anywhere near an expert on the subject matter of that person. In the show notes, I'm going to put a link of him on the Rubin Report, and you can listen to it in his own words of what he said he is. He is an observer of culture, pop culture, history, and he was watching people from his own wing. You can't call anarchy a wing. The right wing. That's what it's called. The new right. He's a right-wing anarchist. He's a nationalist anarchist. He's not on the left. If he was any of those things as an anarchist, he would proudly indicate that he was a right-wing whatever. He doesn't. Then let me explain. Tom Woods. You should watch him on Tom Woods. Tom Woods is extremely alt-right. He has a Southern Confederate movement that he started. So? So the guy's an alt-right. He sat in an interview with alt-right. So he supports alt-right. So? On Lex Friedman. He's talked a couple of times about his viewpoints. I've watched all of the shows with Rogan on there before. And I also watched The Room Report. And I put that one in there because he's done a couple of shows of them. He explains in detail. And he mentions two people in particular back in the 1992s. And the guy that he mentions as one of the guys that he admires is a right-wing anarchist. That's who he is. He says, I watched this movement develop around me, talking about the alt-right. In a subdivision of this, a lot of the anarchists that are my friends became the alt-right. He sat with them and he says, I should write this book because I'm not an outsider. An outsider can't talk about this. He is talking about the culture around him on the right. He's on Fox News on the right. He only deals with the right. And yet somehow you want to make it sound like, oh, he's just this natural anarchist. He's not. He's a right-wing national anarchist. That's what his platform is. Now, I know that he likes to say I don't wear flags because there's all sorts of different flags in the anarchist movement. There's the black flag. There's the red flag. There's the anarchist feminist flag. There's a bunch of different flags, which, again, he does reject adjectives. He doesn't want to be part of that movement, but he's anti-progressive and he's anti-left. So that's going to put him automatically on the right. I've never seen him on any shows on the left. He doesn't really do those kind of shows. He only does those shows where he can have a nice little platform where he's not challenged, where no one's going to call him out on it. Maybe he just never got invited to do those shows because he is such a hard pill to swallow. Nobody who's progressive wants to tangle with him. They're not going to invite him on their show. I think that he can go on Kyle Kalinske's show. He wouldn't tear Kyle apart. I think he can go on David Pakman's show. He wouldn't tear David apart. There's a lot of progressives that he can go on. He's not going to tear them apart. 
He uses the philosophy of anarchy, but like, come on, Emma Goldman, he quotes Kant. Kant was kind of a racist, according to his own admission. And so this is who his heroes are. If you admire that, that's cool. I'm the saying that I have other heroes, and I'm going to call him for what I see and what he says. I don't put anything on him that he hasn't said. And I don't put anything on him that he hasn't said. I just don't see him the way that you see him. I don't care that you have a different opinion than me. And I don't know why it's important for you to like try to be right. I'm not trying to be right here. I know you're not trying to be right. That's very obvious. I don't know why you need to be right about some guy named Michael Malice. Because I want to be real. Be real about what? Be real about what he really is. Why is it important? You don't know what he really is. As far as I know, you haven't read any of his books. As far as I know, you are not his friend. You do not have a regular conversation with him. I've watched hours of him. I've seen every Rogan that he's been on. Been on Lex at least three times. I had to watch the whole Ruben Report, both of them. I also watched them on Tom Woods, which is actually very interesting, but nevertheless, Tom Woods is still a racist. That's fine. You can have heroes being racist. He's just not my hero. It's weird that you want me to say that he's my hero. You just said you like the guy. That doesn't make him my hero. I can like Charlie Brown. That doesn't make Charlie Brown my fucking hero. Charlie Brown can be your hero. There's nothing wrong with that. Charlie Brown's my hero. I enjoy listening to him. I like the perspective that he brings. I like the amusement that he has with the absurd. I appreciate his love of Camus. I appreciate his honesty, you know, when he talks to someone like Rogan or Friedman or whoever. To me, it doesn't matter. Like, you want to put him in a box. And he, I think, is the last person that wants to be put in a box. Period. Actually, I just want to put him in one place. I want to put him with the new right wing, because that's where he belongs. According to you, and your one voice screaming into the wind of anger that is the United States of America. And I'm like, why? Why are you bothering? Actually, that's according to his own book. Bye. Ciao. Please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 17 minutes podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please share it with your friends and family. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors. They're listed on our website and social media. Check them out. Have a blessed Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom.
Purple Noodle Marketing is a creative strategy and design agency that specializes in cannabis SEO and marijuana marketing. We help businesses launch cannabis products, build brand foundations, and sustain organic cannabis growth. With over 30 years of experience, you can trust that we know exactly what SEO strategies to use. So whether you're a CBD or hemp dispensary, medical cannabis dispensary, or a dealer in recreational marijuana, we'll provide you with the best digital strategy to help you rank higher on Google. Clients who've worked with us in the past can attest to this. They've not only increased traffic, but have seen growth of millions of dollars in their online businesses. Our agency is completely versed in cannabis products, business models, state regulations, and organic SEO. We also believe in decriminalization before legalization and work within communities to help promote fair business practices for cannabis business owners and connoisseurs. Limited marketing leads to limited results, so don't be limited. At Purple Noodle Marketing, we can find the perfect plan for you. We understand that every cannabis business is unique, and we have three tiered marketing plans that we can customize for your particular marketing needs. Want to grow? Call us today at 612-208-2812 to speak to our cannabis growth specialist.